When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can't, you can't censor, censor us. us. This is Uncensored Parenting. Talking about the shit, no one else will. You've got questions, we've got, well, we've got perspectives. Coming up on today's episode is Lori Petro. She is the creator of Teach Through Love and Conscious Communication Cards and a parent. In this episode, we'll discuss the topic of parenting. Lori teaches us about using communication with our kids that's free from guilt, shame, fear, and blame, managing ruptures with our kids and how to stay in connection with them, the difference between supporting and rescuing, and reframing your perspective to support your kid's emotional process. And of course, you don't want to miss out on Lori's best parenting advice. Welcome to Uncensored Parenting. Hello, everyone. On today's episode, we have Lori Petro, the founder of Teach Through Love and the host of a YouTube series called Teachable Moments. She works with parents, educators, and other professionals with digital talks and resources. Lori developed Conscious Communication Cards, a tool that supports parents and caregivers on how to talk to your kids without using blame, shame, judgment, or guilt, which I personally use and I love them. Lori, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right. So um, I know that you used to be a school teacher. So tell me how you got into this work. So I was online. I think it was in 2009. I came online on Facebook and started a Facebook page. Um, I had sort of been just on my own journey of self-healing and figuring out like what making sense of my childhood. And, and then I kind of found out that I was going, we, my husband and I had a surprise baby and we were like, oh, okay, we're having a baby now. And I had been looking for a way to channel my desire for changing the way that we spoke to each other in our families. And which I understood was from my own healing was um, not the norm. And, but I didn't know what to do with it. And then it was like, oh, here's a baby. And I was like, oh, okay. They just all felt, it sort of just fell into place that way. And then I came online to start advocating for these things that I was believing in so strongly. And just, I just was really passionate about it. And I came online and started talking about it. And then I realized like one of the biggest questions was, I get it. I want to be, you know, empathetic. I want to be compassionate. I want to have a great relationship with my kids, which is really what it was about. It was about how do we have good relationships with our kids too, you know, in our families, which is something I didn't experience. And people were like, but I don't know what to say. I want to do all that, but I don't know what to say. And I was like, oh, well, I, you know, it's like sort of just this aha moment one day, like making social media content before we had like now it's exploded, right? In 2009, it was sort of new and everybody, you know, my graphics were really like, they weren't so pretty back in the day, but I like took this picture of my backyard and I slapped some, you know, reframes on a card and it like 
it was one of my most popular posts ever back then. And I was like, okay, this hit a nerve. This is something that people really, and I was doing um, probably from like 2012 is when I started that all the way until we um, did the Kickstarter for producing, for making the cards, because people were like, do you have these? Can I buy these? Cause I was just sharing them online and sharing them with people that um, took my classes. And then we made them a product through crowdfunding and the community support. And it just kind of took off from there. Wow. And so you've been doing this work since 2009 or even before, like you were, because you, I know that you, um, yeah, then I'm going to give away my age there, Sarah, <laughs> tell you more. Yeah. I mean, I graduated college back in the nineties and then I, um, taught for a little bit, but I worked in film and TV. I was, um, a producer and an actor. And that was sort of, I was always a creative person. And then, but then when I, um, when my daughter came along, I didn't want to go to the set for 14 hours a day. And I, that's when I started the online business. Okay. So it was probably from 2001 is when I started teach through love. And that was actually after Columbine for 2002, I guess it was, um, because I was like, you know, these kids were hurting so much and I could, I just resonated with that because I was a troubled kid, not as outwardly. Like I didn't, I didn't get, I mean, I'm, you know, look at me, I'm a young white girl. I didn't get in trouble the way some kids get in trouble, but I was really, I was having really challenging times and I was very depressed and all of these things. So in my mid twenties, when I saw what happened in Columbine, it was like sort of the first it was one of the first incidents that really struck me as a young adult. And that's when I created Teach Through Love. I wrote like a mission statement about, you know, it wasn't, we had to sort of look inside too at the way that we treat each other to get to the root of it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's sort of when it started, when Teach Through Love started as, but I didn't know what it was until about 2005. It was sort of, I was making brochures and I was working with kids and um, in other capacities, but parent education uh, took off around 2004, 2005. Wow. I, yeah, I was, I was in high school. One of my friends was in Columbine and I remember um, just that experience. And now that, that I'm older, I still like, we still see what you're, I think, talking about, like, even when my, my son comes home and talks about the stuff that happens in middle school, it's like, oh my gosh, we really, this is really important that we are sharing this with parents right now so that they can hear this, because this is probably, um, one of the most important tools I think that can be used with youth ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I would love to emphasize that it's, it's a community. Like we have to think about it in this wraparound approach. Like it can't just be parents alone doing this at home, especially if you have a a child that has really challenging behaviors and you're kind of like, I'm at the end of my rope. I mean, I know that my family was like that. And even though they didn't have the best tools to handle themselves, I know that they still in some way wanted the best for me. And I know that there are parents out there that feel like, you know, that not that they get blamed. And so it's our schools and our, you know, our doctors and like everybody in the community, if we can all shift towards a more compassionate way of communicating, then I think that we can really see some reform and some, you know, our kids' mental health 
improve? Yes. Yeah. I I can relate just because I I'm right now teaching and I teach online. And so a lot of the students we don't really see, but I'm reaching out to parents and my biggest thing to them is like, we are a team together. How do we work together? What, you know, what are you seeing? What am I seeing? How do we collaborate? And so I love that community piece there that you're, you're bringing up. That's awesome. And hi, Jeff. I didn't mean to um, not say hi to you in the beginning. I just said hi to Sarah and I was like, Oh, but wait, he's there. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. So what is the biggest mistake that you see parents doing? Okay. Well, I hate to frame it as a mistake. Okay. I don't want to be judgmental <laughs> and critical because I make all the mistakes myself. So do we. we do. Yeah. We, we do all lots do. of them. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but definitely they're like, who is she to tell me I'm making a mistake? Right. No, but one of the biggest things that I think we get stuck in is that we see, we want to say something different but we still are seeing behavior the same way. So we're still looking through this perspective of you have to do what you need to do. And then it's like, oh, but I'm going to be, if I just acknowledge you're sad, I know you're sad. Then it's like, we think, oh, but they're still going to then go put on their shoes or do their homework or take out the trash or whatever it is. And it's like, no, we have to change that perspective to like, how can I help this child and what's getting in their way? of not doing this and not just, you have to do it. I'm going to acknowledge that you're sad and then you have to do it. It's like, no, I'm going to acknowledge your feelings to try to understand your perspective. And so I think a lot of the times parents just come in with empathy and acknowledging feelings. And then like magically they want their children to do what they're supposed to do. And it, you know, sometimes it is really that simple, but often there's a lot more that goes into the problem solving and you know, helping and still setting limits. They also think another thing is that they think that when they set the limit that they're with, with empathy and compassion, that their children will like it and agree. So, <laughs> I'm so guilty of this. <laughs> still going to not like it. And I will tell my daughter, it's like, you're totally right. You're not supposed to, you know, you're 16. You are not supposed to like this limit. I'm going to help you though. I know that you're not liking it and I'm expecting that. And you were totally, you know, that's age typical behavior. I'm ready for it. And then I just leave it there, you know, cause I'm not changing my mind, but I know that this is expected. Um, it's kind of, and I don't always say that to her, but sometimes I'll just say that to myself. Like she's not supposed to like this limit. She's supposed to not be happy and want me not to be in her room or in her space. Cause she needs to process it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm setting it, I'm a bad person, or she's not going to, you know, she doesn't like it. She doesn't respect the rule. She just doesn't, you know, she doesn't like having this limit set, but this limit is for safety or for health or a boundary that's necessary for whatever it is. And so I think just mistaking that this conscious communication means that kids are always going to like what, you know, what happens. And that's just not true. Yeah. And I think about like, um, and I know this has come up for me as a parent is like the guilt that I feel when I'm, I might need to set a limit because of a safety thing. Um, and I know like my kid isn't going to like it, but there's this like feeling of like, oh, like I feel bad for doing it almost, even though like, I know I'm going to acknowledge and I'm going to process it with them, but there's just still that feeling, um, you know, that I get sometimes. So it's, it's actually good to hear like, that it's that piece that I need to address with myself. Of like, why am I feeling this way? Is it an appropriate oh. limit or is it, you know, is it that I just, 
there's some story around it that I have, or I'm uncomfortable with it. Or That's exactly the question. It's amazing the way you put that. It's exactly the two questions that you want to ask. Like, is that like checking in with yourself about this limit? Why do I need to set it? And okay, if I'm setting this for the right reasons, then why am I having difficulty around it to really know? And it's hard. Like nobody has time to be that present all the time, right? That's kind of like this. <laughs> so we have things to do, of course. But the more we do it, the easier it also gets. So we sort of develop a dance with our kids and we we know their triggers. They know ours. Like it doesn't mean that we have to be happy all the time. It means that we take care of each other in that way. I think that you you become a family who works together in a more cohesive way because like if I give my kid a little bit of space when I know she's having a tough day, that means that when I'm having a moment that she's going to give me a little bit of space and she's not going to like maybe react as harshly either because she knows, okay, my mom's had now when they're really little, they don't know that, but I of course have a 16 year old now. So it's a little bit different, but even, you know, when they're younger, if they know that, that, um, that you were the home base that they can rely on, then, you know, a lot of the times those big everyday power struggles, they kind of go away because it's not, um, it's not every little, they're not always fighting for some autonomy or to be heard because they already have that as like the base. So we've talked a little bit for our listeners about the, the communication or the conscious communication cards and kind of what they are exactly. So they kind of get an idea of what, what they're used for. And the yeah, purpose. for sure. So, so the idea behind the cards was, of course, to reframe. Here's what we normally say. Here's a way to say the same thing, but without blame, shame, judgment, guilt, or fear. Fear is another one that we often use. Um, and, but the most important thing to me on the on each card is not the um, the scripts that I give, but the perspective shifts. So above each sample, this is what you could say instead, it gives you how to look at the situation different. So instead of coming in with a threat, we come in and we just notice without judgment, right? It's like, what can I notice without making any kind of a judgment? Or instead of using blame, I come in and, you know, uh, acknowledge feelings. So it gives you sort of steps to take instead of just trying to say these words. So even if the words don't match, it's like, okay, what's the perspective shift that I can take? All right, what feeling can I acknowledge? Do I notice in this kid right now? Or how can I um, prompt them with a question that will lead them to solve their own problem or to notice something about the situation? Like, it's not always about the words. It's about coming in with that new perspective. So even though they are communication cards, and I think people really love just that, flip of the language, the most important thing really is the reframe of the perspective that, that, um, that is included on each card yeah, for each statement. Oh, that seems really powerful. So what are the benefits of using conscious communication with kids? I think one, it's going to build your relationship. Uh, kids, when kids feel respected and when we use language that isn't intimidating or threatening or blaming them, they feel like it's okay to have feelings, which helps them process their feelings. So then they don't hold on to things and, and it doesn't build up to where they're, you know, then becoming reactive to everything. Um, it reduces those power struggles because it teaches kids how to regulate 
really the cards are not just about communication. They are about how do I build relationship by knowing, oh, these are the ways I can help children by giving them, you know, quality feedback about their behavior and not just demands or directions. Um, they build self-regulation because uh, they teach us what we can do in those moments of stress. So actually I didn't mention that, but the cards are divided into three categories. Just to give examples of how we can do each of these things, which is one, build relationships, two, co-regulate together so that we can strengthen kids' ability to regulate their own stress. And then the third one is building skills. So sometimes it's not like the kid is regulated and our and our relationship is really close, but they're learning how to organize themselves. And it's not that we just expect them to go and do it, but we have to maybe put in prompts or help them um, achieve this by setting, you know, making lists or whatever it is. So how do we work on skills? So sometimes we're working on skills. Sometimes we're working on regulation. Sometimes we're repairing or building and strengthening our relationship. So those are the three areas that I think grow and strengthen when we use conscious communication. I love that piece where you said about co-regulating together, because often I'm like, they need to fix it. You know, like as a parent, I'm like, ah, I'm freaking out and I know I need to regulate myself. But the regulating together is, is seems really harmonious um, as a parent and approach with your kid. Yeah. If you know anything about HeartMath, the HeartMath Institute, they have done lots of studies on the coherence of our hearts. And so when we're regulating with children, and I think Dan Siegel talks a little bit about this too, if you know his work, but we, when we we're co-regulating, our hearts are actually linking up and start to synchronize. So it's, it's physiology too. You know, it's not just this, you know, woo woo, we're going to get together and, you know, connect. It's not just, um, it's really a physical process that we're, that we're initiating with our kids. So. Which is why, which is why it's kind of important then to change your perspective, right? Because if, if you're trying to help co-regulate with your child and they're feeling your anxiousness, your fast heartbeat, and you're doing some heart connecting or co-regulating, they're not going to be able to, to regulate. Definitely. They definitely feed off of our own energy. So even if we're not having you know, disagreements or conflicts with our kids at home, if we're carrying a load of stress that's seeping out because we're not managing it, everybody's going to start to feel it, right? It's just going to be that tension in the air. So that's another, you know, that also can be hard, you know, telling people, well, hey, you got to get regulated too to do it. But if we can just build it slowly. And again, if we have that wraparound community support, um, it makes it a lot easier, I think, for parents to to get to that place where they do feel like they can regulate and they don't feel ashamed if they're not regulated because then we have the process of repair. And that's just another communication. It doesn't always have to be verbal. Um, there've been many times when my daughter and I have repaired conflicts by, you know, passing notes back and forth um, under her door and, you know, things like that. So it doesn't always have to be like this face-to-face communication, but repair is a way when we're not regulated that we can go back and um, fix those ruptures. Yeah, that's, I think it's, it's a thing that, that I don't often think about because I know growing up, like, you know, it just ruptured and that was how it was. I mean, it, it probably for many people, because we didn't, our parents didn't have access to tools like this. 
Um, but that repair, like, it's okay that we are human and aren't perfect and there might be a rupture. And then how can we repair that with our kids is, is something that almost gives me validation of like, it's not, I'm, I, even if I make the mistakes, there's still opportunities to stay connected to your children. Yeah. And how much do they learn through that too, that about being human, about tolerance, because if we have no tolerance for their mistakes, how can they go out there in the world and tolerate anybody? That's when kids are demanding out in the world when they're, they have that experience at home and it's always like their fault or they're getting blamed for not doing what they should do. Well, then the moment that somebody doesn't meet their expectations out in the world, they're like, they, they don't always know how to deal with that. Then, you know, not that we all don't go out and have to do our own personal work. So it's not, again, blaming parents for but again, it's, you know, it's, we learn by the people that we are with. So we do have an important role there and teachers too, and everybody that's in that, that child's world. So what if like, is it ever too late for parents or caregivers to like use this with their kids? Or, I mean, you know, I know that there was a, you had mentioned before, like it's, it's really not just I mean, it's going to take time. It's not just something you use once or twice and all of a sudden your kids are, you know, regulating and having a great relationship with you. But is it ever too late? Like, what are your suggestions for parents whose kids are really acting out and they feel like it might be too late? Yeah, it's definitely never too late. Um, I think one of the coolest things that happens is I have grandparents that either sign up for classes or purchase products because they want to communicate better with their grandchildren and they're learning how to communicate with their adult children this way. There are um, couples that their relationships have also become better because they're learning. So it's not just like you're learning how to communicate with your children. You're really learning how to change how you communicate and relate to everybody. So I don't think it's ever too late. It, it can definitely be harder. If you've gone, you know, 12 years, 15 years, and you've had a lot of combative interactions with, with your children, then it's probably going to take a little bit more than just changing the way that you speak, but changing the way that you speak is, is an important component. It's not one that you can just leave out, right? You also may need to have therapy together, or you may also need, um, you know, other support to help that build that relationship but conscious communication will be an important component. And I don't think it's ever, you know, if, if a parent is willing, and here's the thing, a child may reject you over and over if they have felt rejected over and over, you know, in that same way. But if you're willing to just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying and keep saying, you know, it's so hard, you know, and I know I was that kid too, is like when you have a kid screaming that they hate you, and you don't feel like, and you're doing everything. Um, it doesn't feel like you can get anywhere and it, it might feel hopeless, but it definitely, I, those kids always want you, even if they're screaming back. And I know there's a lot of people that have, um, like foster children, for example, who are, have had their attachments so disrupted and may trust no one. Like these are the kinds of kids that need it the most you know, the ones that seem to be the hardest to reach. So, yeah. So I, that I hear 
my next question was going to be like, what if you keep seeing the same behavior over and over? But what I'm really hearing from you is the not stopping the continuing to do it and be conscious and to change the way you communicate. And if that isn't working, then to reach out for a little bit more support. But in this case, being consistent with it is important. Yeah. You have to really commit to wanting, because it's not just about the communication. Remember it's that perspective shift. So it's about, I want to stop this behavior to, I want to help this child and healing those behaviors, which are coming from chronic stress, trauma, whatever the root cause of that is disrupted attachments, peer relationships. Sometimes kids are struggling so much at school with their peers that their mental health is just plummeting because of that. And it's, And even those good, stable relationships at home might not be like enough to reach that child. So definitely um, when we need outside support, we should get it. All right. So I know um, I read, I was reading a little bit about um, your belief and your stance on empathy. Will you tell us a little bit more about the um, empathy and the power that it has to kind of heal conflict and trauma? (sighs) So empathy you know, for me, empathy, the ability to be able to just put myself in somebody else's shoes and really see it from their perspective just relieves so much conflict because finally I I can see other reasons for why somebody might have, for me, disappointed me, upset me, gotten a conflict, conflict with me. If I don't have an empathetic perspective, then all I can see is, well, they did this to me and I'm a victim or I'm, you know, I'm never going to let them do it to me again. And I get defensive because I feel like it's all about me, you know, but when, and that's, you know, sometimes the kind of what our kids feel like, it's like all about us as the parents, because we're demanding them to do this. And we only take our perspective and it's what we say and what they don't, you know, what they have to say or think. I mean, how many of us as, as kids, you know, a lot of your listeners maybe heard things like, you know, I don't care how you're feeling. This is the rule or this is the limit. Um, and it's I like said not, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I said so. And that's not to say that those limits change, but that I can also say this is the limit. And I'm also really want to hear how hard this is for you. Because I, I do understand and I want to know about it. And I want you to be able to share that you know, and we don't have to reinforce, but I'm still not changing my limit. We can just stay there in that empathetic perspective that grows that child's ability to then have empathy. Like empathy isn't a skill that just magically appears. We have to experience it to be, to then be able to show it. So children, we are born naturally curious and wanting to connect with people and empathetic, but the moment people start rejecting us. So the moment we start to see obstacles, you know, it can get quickly sort of pruned away in the brain if there's not a connected caregiver to also to be empathetic with us because we just, we won't have that experience. So empathy isn't like just this one skill. It's like a combination of skills, right? It's the ability to take, to see somebody else's perspective So three-year-olds don't always have, they always can't, they can't always show empathy because they can't perspective take as easily, right? So it's something that develops and grows with experience and through relationships. Um, So it's just, it, it touches in so many areas of our life that I think that's why I think it's important. It's, it's, it's 
good for us to have self-empathy. If we don't have empathy for our own mistakes, then we start to judge ourselves, get harsh with ourselves. And then we have no patience for other people because, you know, it's just round and round we go. Yeah. You know, I think that what I have seen over the last like year and a half is how important it is for kids to feel very seen and heard. And it's the same for us as adults, right? Like I know that if I'm in a a disagreement with my partner or whatever, like I just want to be seen and heard. And I think about even with kids, like at times when I'm in my frustration or they're not listening and I need stuff to get done, then I, I lose that moment of like, okay, there's this limit. And I understand that it might be hard for you. Let me hear how you are handling it or taking it in so that they can be seen and heard. And sometimes I I think they're like, by what you were just saying, it's like, oh yeah, sometimes I need to just slow down for a moment and remind myself that they need this opportunity too. And I, I want to be seen and heard and I wasn't growing up, you know, I mean, I was at times, but, um, yeah. So like, it's like, as a parent, I really need to slow down, I think sometimes and really attune to that and not take it personal or get triggered by the fact that they're having a hard time with my limit or they're having a hard time with what's happening in the situation. Right. It's so, it's so crazy when we think about it, because it seems we can take it so personally. And yet when we look at it, like we're sitting here and we look at it and we would think about a situation and it's like, oh, but they're so young and they're so little. And they were just like, you know, having a moment and that slowing down piece. We have to do a lot of personal investigation into our own history, I think, to know why, like, why can't I slow down in this moment? Because, yeah, sometimes it's just a matter of actual logistics. And sometimes, like, I remember this one time my daughter was in a gymnastics class and she was young. She was maybe four or five. And she was asking me to, she was like out on some balance beam kind of thing and calling me over and trying to get my attention to come over. And they were supposed to be in the gymnastics class, like independently, like we weren't supposed to go over and help them. And she was just like starting to cry and she was getting very upset. And I was getting like just tense, more and more tense. Like I was trying to push her to be independent. And then I, and then I got like really upset and I didn't yell because we were, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal, but I got very stern with her to like do this by herself in the class. And then I walked away and it hit me that I had just had a conversation like 15 minutes before with my own mother where she had no real interest in what I was trying. I was sharing something with her that was really important to me. And I sort sort of blew me off, hung up the phone, went to the gymnastics class. And the moment that my kid, my four-year-old needed me, I had not yet processed that moment with my mother and I was trying to disconnect and I hit me and I ran over there and I like got right into that moment of like, how can I help? What do you need? And then she two seconds later, she like had her moment, felt me there and then independently sort of walked off. She just needed to know that I was there if she needed me, but I was pushing against that. And I was so unconscious of why. And then, you know, and it took me a second and it it hit me and then I, I rectified that, but it was like, we can be so unconscious of why we're stuck in that moment of why we're feeling so tense. So it's not always, and that just happened to kind of come to me right in that moment. But sometimes we're going back and we're sitting with ourselves like, 
why did I get so upset at dinner tonight when, you know, they kept shuffling in their table and they were in their chair and they wouldn't sit still. So it takes a minute and we don't always do that. We don't always think about that practice of like going back and checking in with why we were really tense in that moment or upset or frustrated or whatever it might've been just regulated, but it is an important process to be able to see that behavior differently in the future. So can I ask you then like the idea of rescuing? And I know, cause what I, what I hear from you is that, that in this case, it was, it was bringing attention to your daughter and asking your daughter what she needed and then being able to like create a space in which she was able to kind of regulate and then move forward independently. But how do you know the difference between like whether you're like just rescuing like, oh, I don't want you to hurt. I don't want you to do this. And being conscious about like, this is a moment in which this behavior is calling for some of my support. So I always say, can you be okay when your kid isn't? So in that moment, I was not okay. I was resisting her need and I was tense. And so that's why when I walked away after I was stern with her, it like hit me. If I, if it had been a moment where she just needed to independent, like I needed to be okay and she could independently do it, then I would have been like, you know what, kiddo, I'm going to let you do this. I'm going to see how you can, like, let's see how you try maybe right over here. And I would have been confident and I would have, but I was pushing and I was mad. And so that was the difference. So if I'm in a regulated place and holding the limit and like letting, like one time, this is totally opposite. She was probably about eight and she came in and she cut up all these little pieces of paper and she held them in her hand. I didn't know what it was. She came in, she's like, mommy, guess what? And I was like, what? And she like went, and she went everywhere. And I was like, oh, wow, that was great. And then she walked off and went back to watch TV. And I was like, wait a minute. What? No, come back here. And she was like, I, no, I don't want, I'm like, come on, we got to pick that up. That was really funny. But look what happened. We have all this paper all over the floor. And she was just like, I don't want to. And that was a moment where I could have gotten really, but I was just like, you know what? We're going to, it's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to help you. I know you don't want to. It was a big mess. What can I do? Can I get you the dustpan? What would you like to use? And she resisted for a minute. And I just, I stayed, I was calm. Like I wasn't mad because I knew that, yeah, of course, who wants to pick up a big mess like that? I understand. You want to go back to watch TV? You can totally go back and watch TV as soon as we pick up this mess. And she resisted and I, and I helped and I stayed calm and I waited. Like waiting is really hard. Sometimes we want our kids to do it right now. But if you wait a full minute or two, it's a really long time. It's a really long time when you want something done. And I just waited. I was like, I know, you know, you don't want to do it. It's going to, it's not fun to have to clean stuff up. And I just waited and I, and I gave her some, and then she did it. And then she was able to move on. So, and it wasn't something I was going to do for her. Like, I think she was expecting me like, oh, mom, will just clean that up. And it was like, okay, this is a real moment. She's old enough. It's not like something like she's too little and I really need to help her. Like expecting a four-year-old to do that independently, different. Can they help? Absolutely. Uh, you know, are they going to have the stamina and the ability to stay on task the whole time? Maybe not, but an eight-year-old can. And they knew that she was ready. So that was the difference because um, it was a totally different feeling in that moment where I was just able to tolerate her behavior because I was regulated and I didn't have any you know, baggage that I was carrying around that issue. 
Yeah. And it's not, I mean, they're, it's not, that's not the power struggle. It's not forcing them to into this demand or blaming or shaming them. It's this creation of like, okay, well, this, this occurred and we're going to need to clean it up. And what do you need from me? Versus like, you have to do it or, you know, you never clean up after yourself or exactly. you know, going into which that. just creates shame. And then they're like, Oh, I don't want to be that person. I'm going to run from that. And that they don't really, you know, conscious communication and empathy, they help kids take accountability and be responsible mm-hmm. because they're not afraid to, to own up to their mistakes. Yeah. And I think that's the piece of that, the accountability piece. That's the piece of like, you know, we always wonder like, how do you create, well, I wouldn't say we always wonder, but like, I know we get asked a lot of like, how do you hold your kids accountable? And I think there's this like very deep traditional belief of like, well, you, you know, you don't even have a conversation with them. They do something wrong. And like, you just, you throw an accountability at them or a, a punishment. And this is almost the piece where it does create that accountability because they're actually understanding more of like when they have, when they do things, their actions can have consequences and not consequences like bad consequences. But like if I'm conscious with somebody or I, t- I have empathy, then the consequence is going to be that that person is is going to feel cared for whatnot. And then they're going to return it. Right. And the consequences could be like if I cut up tons of paper, like we've seen our kids do as well, and just throw it in the air. Like it's that piece of knowing like, oh, but if I do stuff like this, then I need to clean it up because I can't just leave it. So that builds that internal accountability. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, we can't force accountability. We can't punish our kids into maturity. We can, we have to work with them in their unique developmental stages because not every kid develops on the same time timeline. They're all different. They all have different needs. Um, I was a highly sensitive kid. So that, you know, meant that it was really probably emotionally demanding on the adults in my life. Um, And they didn't understand why I didn't like these itchy pants and why I was so sensitive to movies and why I cried so much and all of these things, you know, there was so much going on. And now, you know, I'm still highly sensitive. I still don't like the, the, you know, fabrics that aren't soft. (laughs) Like these aren't things that you just grow out of. You learn to adapt. And I think that we can help our kids adapt if we really take their unique profiles into consideration and work with them. Awesome. Okay. So first of all, thank you for all of this amazing, uh, information and, um, I, I'm, I really appreciate actually getting the opportunity to talk to you because like I've said, I've like used these cards and, um, they definitely have a very different, your kids have a very different response when you're, when you are like regulated and using them. Um, and we even see like, glad that you've seen that. Yeah. And we even see like our, like our son, especially like he's, he very much uses some of these things like with other people mm-hmm. he'll, he'll make a comment or something. And we're both like, Oh, it's just, it's really funny. Like when he uses it with his friends, it cracks me up, but it's, 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 so it shows like that piece that they're, he's really internalizing it. Right. And that it's, it means something to him. 
And it's completely shifted my relationship with him. You know, he's my stepson and we, we've had our, our battles with each other and there's been a lot of repairs that have been going on. And the more that I repair and I'm more, the more that I'm owning my stuff, the closer him and I are actually getting, because when I ask him of things or, you know, there's some things that we need, he's there now for me. And it's, it's made a massive shift in just how we relate together. So it's been beautiful. Yeah, definitely. So we ask um, this question to all of our um guests on this podcast what is your best parenting advice my best parenting advice is to just be conscious conscious not perfect I think we strive to like our kids have to be perfect we have to be perfect we have to do everything on time and it's like can we just slow down and like be conscious in the moment right here right now um and do what needs to be done right here. Just conscious, not perfect. There is no perfection. And that's why I don't really like, I, I don't even want advice. It's like, ah, I don't just, I don't have advice. I'm not, I'm not perfect. <laughs> just be conscious. Yeah. 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 I love it. Awesome. All right. If listeners want more information or access to the communication cards, where can they find you? You can find me online, teachthroughlove.com. And of course, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Twitter. Is anybody going on Twitter anymore? I don't know. I've never, I don't have Twitter, so I don't know. (laughs) It's like Twitter is words, people who like words. Instagram is people who like pictures. And then Facebook feels like more like family nowadays, but I got my start on Facebook back in the day, but all the, all the usual places, teachthroughlove.com is the website. Wonderful. And thank you so much for taking the time to share with our listeners some great tools. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm so honored to be invited. Thanks for listening to Uncensored Parenting. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Uncensored Parenting Podcast. We're out. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric acid.